As we share together in this time, and it's my joy to be prepared now to present the message, we recently had a group of people return from the Holy Land, and there we journeyed from Jerusalem to see of Galilee, all around that land, seeing the places where Christ lived and walked and taught and died and rose to the dead. We're t- kind of telling you that story or sharing that story with you and you with us, not only uh, through this day of Easter, but also through the last several weeks. We celebrate that in many ways. One of the ways we're doing this is sharing videos of what we experienced there. I'm going to show you one right now. If you're a guest, for the first time you're going to see what we've been looking at, and you're kind of being brought to speed with us. If you've been with us for a while, be reminded of those things. Prepare your hearts now to discover the Holy Land with First Methodist Church. It is a land of tremendous beauty. High soaring mountains and deep, rich valleys. It's the center of the world's three major faiths and home to the world's oldest city. And it was here in this land that the man who changed the course of history lived out his days. In this river, he was baptized. On this hillside, he would teach. On these waters, he walked. And to this city, he would go in the final week of his life. Now, together, we begin our journey to the land where he lived and died again. Welcome to the Holy Land. I want to say this morning, if you're a long-time part of our church family, I'm so glad you're here. Easter is a great time for pastors to watch people come together around the great good news of Easter and the resurrection, to see you, your families come together, you come individually, come as couples, and we celebrate that in so many ways. If you've uh, not been with us for a while and you're kind of returning and kind of taking a break from church and you're back to church, we're equally pleased, if not more so, that you are here. So good to see your faces. And for any guests we have here, maybe first-time guests, first time you're part of our church family, for anything like such as this, uh, again, uh, welcome uh, to worship at First Methodist Church here, this very special place. Normally we meet on our campus there off Walnut Creek Drive and Pleasant Ridge Drive. Hope you'll be back with us uh, next weekend for that's the services we have there. But some, uh, really over a year ago, we got together, Pastor David and myself and others, and talked about the opportunity to go to the Holy Land together. We invited others to go with us, and we were surprised to have 63 people decide to go with us. Two buses for those that have ever been there. We were able to journey throughout that land and share and celebrate and enjoy and experience and feel God's presence in very unique ways. And we decided to bring that back to you in the form of video as well as photographs that speak to our journey, that we would do it together. If you went with us, you're with us on the journey. If you've been part of our church the last few weeks where we've been doing it week by week, part of our journey. If you're here, here for the first time, you're part of the journey as well because together we discover the heart of our Holy Land experience and what it really means leading up to Easter. The very first thing we really talked about seriously was Jesus at the Jordan River. 
show you a picture of that, and we enjoyed being there. In that Jordan River experience, we have a, an idea that Jesus, the Bible says, in that moment, uh, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right there. Uh, we have the beautiful words of God saying, My beloved Son, I'm pleased with Him. And the Spirit of God fell upon Him there at that same place. And that's the beginning of the really public ministry of Jesus Christ there in the Jordan and here with us today. After that, Jesus went to a place we call the Mount of Temptation. There at that location, and you see a monastery there. Uh, there is inside a cave. Some think maybe in the 40 days that he was there, he spent the night in that cave. There he fasted. Uh, there he prayed. There he sought the will and purpose of God. There he faced the devil with three temptations. There he overcame those temptations. And from that overcoming of temptation and that time of prayer, he went to his next phase of life where he invited his disciples to follow him, Peter and John being the first, or Peter, Peter and Andrew being the first. Then following that, he worked many miracles of the sick and hurting and the poor. And then he went to the Mount of Beatitudes. There on the Mount of Beatitudes, and you're going to see a scene where what you see from that mountain looking down, where you see the, there the, the Sea of Galilee. There a large area, crowds would gather. That's where he taught the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 3, 4, 5, and 6. There he taught the things of God, the kingdom of God, the truth about God, the love of God, what it was to be a follower of God. Did that in beautiful ways. Many of you are familiar with some of those words. In the Mount of Beatitudes, then, he continued to serve God around the Sea of Galilee and on the Sea of Galilee. There in the Sea of Galilee, he walked on water. Uh, there he, uh, he, he calmed the storm. Uh, there he did many things there around about that city. We enjoyed being on the sea ourselves on a boat, uh, enjoying that time together and sharing and worship the experience there on the Sea of Galilee. On the Sea of Galilee, he eventually made the journey 70 miles to the city of Jerusalem. There in Jerusalem, he entered by way of uh, the Mount of Olives. And here the photograph you see is from the Mount of Olives. You can look beyond that and see the city of Jerusalem, the old city. Uh, not that different when Jesus was there. So there you see a, a golden uh, Dome of the Rock, it's called, which is an uh, Islamic mosque. In the time of Jesus, there was the Jewish temple was there. It was destroyed not long after Christ was crucified. So imagine that temple being there instead. And there you would see the city dominated by that temple of God and those around who worship God there in that holy place. Then after Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Holy Thursday, Maundy Thursday, the Last Supper, Good Friday, and those experiences, uh, Jesus made his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, he found time again to pray uh, through the evening and, and into the night, saying there, which you might have heard before, not my will but thine be done, speaking to God, praying fervently and seriously. From here, he was arrested, betrayed by Judas, taken into a, a pit. From that pit, he went to a trial. Well, you know the rest of the story. From there, he would be crucified for the sins of the world. And seeing these photographs where we walked, where you are walking now with this church family, with us who actually were there for this adventure, discovering the Holy Land, realize that Jesus was a real person. Nobody argues that fact. No one from any direction argues Jesus was not a real person. A real person who walked a real land around a real sea and a real city among real people for three years. In that three years, the crowds increased 
day by day by day by day till it was a frenzy of folks around him when he walked into the city on Palm Sunday and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now. Uh, And that's Jesus. Throughout that time, he did amazing things. Again, he worked miracles of every sort. He healed the blind, the deaf, the crippled, cast out demons, multiplied food, calmed the sea and the storm, walked on the water, and faced evil in his world. And he confronted evil when he saw it. He confronted political evil. He confronted economic evil, military evil, and religious evils of his world. In doing so, that evil said, we have to stop this confrontation. He's a dangerous man. In doing so, again, he was betrayed, taken to trial, and crucified. There on the cross, he died saying, it is finished. Into God's hands I commend my spirit. That's what happened there. But the religious leaders thought, he's dead now. He's in a tomb. It's all over. We are successful. We have killed what Jesus stood for, what Jesus taught, what Jesus was about. He's dead. That's what they thought, but they were wrong. That's what Easter means. They were wrong. They didn't kill Jesus, nor what he stood for, what he was about, and why he came into the world. What John the Baptist said had three years before at the Jordan River where he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sin of the world. That's what he came to do. Now we're going to show you a, a very short video, and I want to set that up for a minute. Uh, toward our, in our journey, we went to the places where many think that Jesus might have been crucified. Actually, two places are considered as possible sources for that. Uh, one is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. We're going to look at that. Uh, it's been there about 1,700 years where that church was built over the spot. Some think it was Golgotha where the cross was. We also went to a place called the Garden Tomb. At the Garden Tomb, some think it might have been there for different reasons. And in both places, we think and contemplate Jesus was crucified and died and buried. We'll show you that video now. As you watch this, you'll see a number of things. First, you see a a skull-type appearance there on this cliff wall. You look at face on and see it. see the eyes and the mouth. Something this might be actually the place of the skull. It's what Golgotha means, where it's crucified. There's a tomb right by it in the garden tomb area, much like it would have looked during Jesus' time. They were hand-hewn into walls or cave or cliffs, and there you see inside where it might have been, and that's what it looks like. Inside those uh, tombs in those days, there would be slabs where body would be laid. Uh, and that's where we think one of those, either that or a place like that where the body of Christ was laid. This is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, where some think he was crucified. And millions of people visit this every year. Uh, crowds like that are all day long. And there's a rock right there that some think is the base of where the cross was. And uh, millions of people touch that throughout the years. Just go in and touch that. I did. We did. Another place there, uh, kind of symbolic of the sense of the resurrection, the death of Christ. And there you see people who simply are touching that. And they do so all year long. Uh, every year, throughout the generations, by the millions, people come from around the world, every language, uh, every race and nationality, from all over the world, by the millions, including 63 of us, to actually be there and say, this is where Christ was crucified, where he was buried, where he was raised from the dead. What an amazing sense of truth. 
Now, be aware that back in those days, many people died for all kind of causes. Religious people have died many times, even in that time, for what they preached, saying, God sent me. It wasn't uncommon in that day for that to happen. Someone to say, God sent me. Here's what I think you should do and believe. And they died. You don't know any of their names, probably. Have not a thought about those five or ten or twenty or hundred who were killed by Romans or religious leaders or other folks who said, shut up, we want to hear what you have to say. But, but we're here we're still talking about Jesus. And I want to tell you this. I have a book. That's a wonderful book. And I read it. And you're glad I do, right? I'm glad the pastor, a pastor, reads the Bible. So I do read the Bible. I like it. I like the Psalms, especially. I love Genesis and Exodus telling the story of creation and the covenant being given to the world uh, and the beginning of Israel and God delivered people from, the, into, from bondage and slavery to the promised land. I love that. I love the story that told of what, Matt, what Jesus taught, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the miracle stories. They're great stories to read and, and hear about. And I love the Apostle Paul's words there in Corinthians and Thessalonians and Galatians. And Revelation talks about the end of the world. But let me tell you this. If there is no resurrection story in the Bible, this book would be worthless. I'll say it again. They're great words. I love these words. But without the resurrection of Christ, the Easter truth that we come to celebrate today, on this unique day we call Easter, then the Bible is really worthless without the resurrection. The church, there are two billion people who claim Christ throughout the world. And the church is everywhere, all around you. and all, Wherever you go, you're going to find elements of church there. Old churches and new churches and structures and buildings and programs. But without the resurrection, church isn't worth very much. Not, not really. You know, our Christian faith. We celebrate that here. We celebrate Christianity as a, as a term that we use. And you can call it many things. Those who follow Jesus Christ, those who are Christians. The Bible talks about those who are people of the way. But without the resurrection, it doesn't mean anything. In fact, without that, it wouldn't exist anyway. There'd be no Bible. There'd be no church. There'd be no Christianity. There would be no hope. There'd be no answer. My claim today is that when God sent his son to confront the sin of the world and the hurt and brokenness of the world, he most importantly confronted death, which ends everything, and brought to us life, the tomb being empty. So please hear that. The resurrection is a key component of our faith that makes us what we are today as we claim the good news of Jesus Christ on this Easter Sunday. You saw the choir and heard the choir sing a little bit ago and some of the words you saw in front of you that speak of the things that come against us, that hurt us, that, that damage us. Uh, there are people, there are times in life in the world that we can be defined by those things. We can be defined by past things that we have done, things that we should have done. We can be defined by uh, the sin that we've committed, the sin others have committed against us. be defined by those we've hurt. Those who've hurt us, we define by places we succeeded and think that means something, or places that we failed and think that means something. The Easter story, though, changes all of that, and it redefines life in a new way while we are drawn here. 
Some know that you are drawn here because of what I'm telling you today. Some may not know that yet. Maybe you haven't thought about it. Maybe not have dug deep enough into what this really means. Maybe not have made that connection with, wait a minute, because Christ was raised from the dead, I don't have to be defined by addictions anymore. I can be defined by recovery because the tomb is empty. I don't have to be defined by depression anymore. Joy can come in the morning. I'm telling you, those disciples were pretty depressed the night that Christ was crucified. The morning of the resurrection, joy possessed them instead. Not to be defined by our disappointments. We all have disappointments in life as part of our journey. But disappointments lead to, I trust you, God. God, your will be done. And you can be trusted because the tomb was empty. If the tomb was still full, why trust God? What's the point? If Christ is still dead. But raised is all the point. We can trust the God who comes to us in our disappointments. Our doubt, and we all have doubt. Part of our journey is doubt. But doubt turns to faith at the point of the tomb being empty. That's the point of change in life. What forms and shapes the Christian faith, what brings the Bible into play in our existence. It marks us as people who come into a place like this and leave with hope no matter what we came here with. Where loss is changed to gain. Where fear is changed to courage. Where anxiety is changed to to peace, where temptations are changed. Thank you, God, for teaching me. Now I live a new way by your grace at work in my life. Oh, yeah, and death and grief is changed to life and hope and all these things that bring good news to us. That's why Easter and the resurrection is a key component of our faith. In the Bible, in the Christian history, in this church, in every church, and oh, yes, of course, on Easter Sunday, we mark it here in a beautiful way. So hear that as well. Now I want to really answer and ask five very quick questions. Because we look at the formation of our faith as Christians by the resurrection. Again, the key truth of our faith that we celebrate here today. That the resurrection answers for you and me. The first question is this. Is there a God? Is there a God? So we think with God... You see how it began, the beginning in the Jordan River was, and you saw that picture, this is my beloved son. I'm pleased with him. If there was a God, would he leave his son in the tomb? The answer is no. He raised his son from the dead, saying, I will not suffer my son to see corruption. That's what the Bible says. And the words in Hebrews 11:6. anyone who wants to approach God must believe that God exists and that he cares enough to respond to those that seek him. Is there a God? The resurrection says, yes, there is. That's God's message to say, I do exist. I'm going to confront your greatest enemy at this place where my own son crucified. The only one who ever lived who was always righteous and perfect without sin, killed by evil men of this world and put in a tomb. I'm going to raise him and show you and prove to you. And this is the proving point of God to you and, us, to you and me today. Still is that there is a God. Easter says there is. Second question. Does this God love us? 
Does God love us? And, and, and I, we think, we, we, we focus on this and say, the resurrection tells me in a very real, confrontive, powerful, unmistakable way that God loves me, that God loves you. You might know the verse, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. The resurrection is God saying, I have proven it to you. It's that message that speaks through the centuries, through the generations, for millions of Christians who still go to Israel and the Holy Land to touch that place where he died, look in that tomb and see it's empty. To walk those places that Jesus walked and to think about the Christ who really lived, who really taught, who really died. And oh yes, we proclaim in the church today who was really raised from the dead. The third question is, does this life have meaning? Does it have meaning? The Apostle Paul said, if we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We are of all people most miserable. We are of all people you should, feel, you should feel sorry for us if that's all we have. But resurrection, the life that God gives that goes beyond death, brings meaning to life and meaning to everything. You know, you found your way to the, performing, the Center for Performing Arts today to come and have church on Easter. Many of you dressed up. Some of you got your little, your little girls, you know, with their Easter outfits on. Some simply got your stuff in the car and made it here. Thank you for being here and being able to do that. We're all here from every kind of resource and background, and that's, that's fine. We're here in this one place. Uh, did, does any of that have meaning to you today? What brings meaning to that, that you came to church and you heard a choir sing and heard an orchestra and, and heard a pastor speak to you in prayers and had people greet you as you came and hope they'll greet you when you leave too and all that? What does it, it has eternal meaning, what you're doing right. Eternal significance, this hour we have together. Uh, some have already had your Easter brunch. You may have gone out. You may have had someone cook it for you. You may have cooked it yourself. I don't know. You may have already had that. It might have been pancakes, might have been waffles, might have been bacon, oatmeal, my favorite breakfast. I don't know what you had. You, had, you might have already had that or, or you're already planning on something to come. Maybe, maybe you're going out to lunch somewhere and you've got a whole table set up. Maybe you're going by yourself. Maybe someone is home right now. They came last night and they're cooking, getting ready for you to get there. You know, maybe that's what's happening for you. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I want to tell you that that time when that you get together as, as two people or, or three or five or 20 or how many it is, you know, it has meaning beyond that hour or that full stomach or that afternoon nap. It has eternal significance. That's important to know that's true. If you gave today in church, your gift has eternal meaning. It goes far beyond the dollar, the $10 or $1,000 it might have been. It goes beyond that to, to a broader place. And the resurrection brings meaning to all you do, all you have not done. Every moment of life, every breath has eternal significance for you and for me because your life has meaning. And how important is that to know? Yesterday morning I had a chance to run a 10K uh, with my, uh, one of my granddaughters. And we ran that thing, and we're shocked. Uh, she won first place in her age division. I won third place. Uh, but it's more than being tired. That, that short time together has eternal meaning and purpose beyond that. It, it builds life beyond this life to the life to come. And that means all we do and think, every, every difficult day has meaning to it. Every wonderful day has 
meaning to it. Every sad, broken moment in my life is not just something that passes and I've got to get over. It means something beyond that. And every great day where I can smile and have joy has eternal significance. The resurrection means that's true. Without resurrection, what did Paul say? Feel sorry for us. Just feel sorry for us because we haven't got nothing. But in the resurrection, we have everything. Hear that amazing story. And the fourth question is this. Are there second chances? Are there second chances why I'm a Christian? Or I might say better than that, why I'm still a Christian. Or maybe even better than that, why I woke up and say, I'm a Christian today too because I need second chances. And God's given them to me more times than I can count. Maybe today, probably today, this time right now is a second chance for you and me. The resurrection is the proclamation that that is true and why God gives that gift to you and me and why Easter is central to to the, the Bible, the Christian faith, and the church, and really the history of the world. Where two billion people this Easter weekend, somewhere, somehow, turn their heart toward the idea that Easter happens. Easter is the resurrection we believe, this day we celebrate. And the last question is, is there life beyond death? Is there life beyond death? I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one shall take them from my hands. John 10, 28. Is there life beyond death? We work so hard to build our lives, don't we? In that part of our journey. As, you li- as your life goes by, what is your life made up of? What is it really? If you really sit down and examine it, you're going to say, well, it's not where I live. It's not the job that I have. It's not my career, not my hobbies. My life is, you know, if your mom and dad are still living, it's my mom and dad. It's my grandparents, if they're still living. It's my children. It's my friends, my brother and sister. It's those around. That's my life. That's, that's what I've done. That's who I am. That's what I built, what God's allowed me to create, you know. And, and is there life beyond death? means I built something that lasts. It's not just flipping out the door when my, my own mother and father passed away or my grandparents or my friends. Life, the resurrection, Easter says what we built is what Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For moth and rust doth corrupt, and thieves do not break and steal. Easter tells us that. That's God's gift to you and me, confronting our greatest enemy, the loss of all that matters, and saying it does matter. They do matter. It matters. You matter. It all matters. There is a God. He does love you. Life has meaning. There are second chances, and there's life beyond death. What great good news. It was almost a surreal experience to gather together with all of us together. We often were separate because we had two buses. We had so many. But our buses came together at the place you saw earlier called the Garden Tomb. That is where you saw the face that looked like a skull. And where Christ is crucified is called the Place of the Skull or Golgotha or Calvary. And so people think it might be there. The same garden area, there is that tomb you saw that you were able to look in. Many people going in and out to see where the body or our body might have been laid. It might have been Jesus' body before the resurrection. We're not sure about that. There we gather uh, for a period of time to uh, walk around, to see, to pray, to think about, to talk. It was mostly quiet during that time. I'll tell you that the garden was very quiet. It wasn't as much joking and talking around as there usually is. It came time to gather at some seats. 
all of us gathered together. Pastor David and myself got to lead the worship there, and we shared in a meal uh, that we call communion in our church. And there we offered that, the bread, uh, the body of Christ, the blood, the blood of Christ. And there we sang and we prayed and we worshiped, had a great experience. Very surreal to be doing it right there. Because right over there we could see there's, a, there's where the crucifixion might have happened. And we could see it probably about 100 feet from where we were. And right over there we could see the tomb. There it is right there. And by the way, it's empty. And there it was. And there we shared that meal. Now, now I want to make a connection with that today and show you a picture in a minute. Hold it for a second. I want to ask you for that in a second. I'm going to show you a picture of a, uh, a hotel. Now, you might be surprised how he's going to connect with a hotel with the discovering the Holy Land. But I'll show you a picture, and I can show, show it to you now if I can. It's a picture of a hotel. And uh, I was with a group a few years ago, not very many, many years ago, three years, two, two and a half years ago. And there we had a meal right there where those, uh, the chairs are where those beach kind of chairs are. There were some tables set up then we were there. And we sat around the tables, maybe about 12, 15 of us, and we enjoyed a meal together. Uh, and it was, it was very unusual to be there. Uh, this hotel is in Rwanda. And that is actually called, that's actually the real Hotel Rwanda. Now, you might have seen the movie. The movie actually had a different hotel. They didn't shoot it in the real one. We were there at the real hotel uh, in a country that some years before it had a genocide where almost a million people were slaughtered over a 100-day period by their own countrymen. It was the most awful times in the history of our world happened right there. The Hotel Rwanda, though, was different. There was over 1,000 people there who were saved by the hotel manager and a few of the staff over that 100-day period. They were protected by them. Now let me go on with this story to make really clear what goes on here, what was going on here. Uh, that the people being slaughtered were called Tutsis, which is one of the uh, tribes, for lack of a better word. That's not accurate, but that's the word I'm going to use. One of the tribes that were there, uh, the Tutsis, were being killed by the Hutus that outnumbered them. So that's the slaughter that was going on. Uh, and the man who rescued the thousand Tutsis there was a Hutu himself, saving those people uh, who uh, his others were killing, his, his people that he knew were killing them. We sat there and had a meal, Coca-Cola and iced tea, hamburgers, shared that time together in that place. We were being served by uh, both Tutsis and Hutus who don't claim that anymore it's against the law there to say what tribe you're from. We're often the same group of people. We're all Rwandans here, and that's now gone. This got a chance to be around over a thousand orphans that we helped sponsor them and support them from uh, from pretty much deep, deep poverty uh, to independence and self-reliance in the Christian faith. We love doing that there. We've done that a number of times with different groups there, and we we celebrate doing that. We follow a guy there who is a, a Hutu uh, lady, Epiphany, who actually created the program that we helped support. And uh, she barely, was barely saved from the genocide at the last minute, losing some of her family in the process. And the people that she is serving are mostly Hutus, which is such an amazing thing. And there we all gather around and have a meal in this place that has become holy by life and death and resurrection. 
you know, life and hope and dreams and slaughter and evil and awful. And there we have the power of the resurrection being shown in that moment that we celebrate together in a remarkable way. Christian faith is not known by the cross. Christian faith is known by the resurrection. Without the resurrection, the cross would not mean anything. That's the power, the literal, the real, the dynamic power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Is there a God? Easter says yes. Does God love us? Easter says yes. Does life have meaning? Easter says yes. Are there second chances? Easter says yes. Is there life beyond death? Easter says yes. And that's God's message to all those who are here today. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for the words you give us just now. The words of faith, simple word we call resurrection. Simple day we call Easter. And the simple faith that we believe in called Christianity. So we come to celebrate your gift to each one of us. The new life you give. Because the tomb was empty. And our prayer is one of faith in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.